Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Winner, winner, chicken dinner! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello and welcome to the Action Network Podcast. I'm senior golf writer Jason Sobel alongside Peter Jennings and Drew Stoltz, a.k.a. The Sleaze. And tonight we've got a special guest with us. Very special. If you follow him on Twitter, if you know about his work, this is going to be a treat for you. Jeff Sherman, he's at Golf Odds on Twitter. He's the VP of Risk Management for Superbook USA. Jeff, thanks for joining us. And for those who don't know, just kind of explain what VP of Risk Management actually means and what you do on a daily basis. Oh, we take care of the odds at our book. You know, we're one property at the Westgate in Las Vegas and, uh, you know, just manage the liabilities and, and set our odds market in relation to what's out there. So uh, it's up to us to, uh, you know, decide what type of uh, wagers to accept, what type of uh, wagers to offer. And, you know, it's just uh, all about putting the book in the best position that we can. Well, we're going to get into a little John Deere classic that we have coming up this week, but mostly we want to talk to you about the Open Championship coming up next week, of course, and I think everybody's looking forward to that next week. And you've got a little news for us because as of the last time I'd heard from you and the last time I saw some tweets from you, Brooks Kepka was the favorite next week at Royal Portrush, and that is no longer the case, is it? Yeah, I've drifted uh, Kepka out to 10-1 to 1 second choice behind Rory McIlroy. McElroy opened 10 to 1. He's now 8 to 1, so they basically kind of flip positions. But McElroy is by far uh, leading the ticket count and the money wager. Right now, he's uh, the Westgate's largest liability. So uh, everyone's supporting McElroy in his uh, home event this time. Yeah, Jeff, speaking of uh, the John Deere Classic here, I want to get into some of these young guns that are making noise right now. Obviously, you got Matthew Wolf winning last week. Colin Morikawa is making huge noise. Victor Hovland's been steady Eddie since he got out there. How hard is it to handicap these young guns who come out week in, week out, when you don't have much, if any, of the data on them that you have on some of these other guys? Well, generally, we're overly aggressive on them. You know, Matt, Matt Wolf was 125 to 1 last week, and he only had one ticket for $2 at our place. So we what? did well with him winning, but that was a product of him coming off a couple missed cuts in a row. But any time that these guys do anything well at all, you're going to see extremely large aggressive adjustments on the book's end because – a lot of the times, the general public, these are the guys that they target. They want to get basically ahead of where they expect these guys to end up. Uh, for instance, Matthew Wolf now qualified for the 2020 Masters. I just opened him up at 60 to 1 for that because I'm anticipating over the next eight months or so a lot of wagering support on him. So even though it's going to be his first time there, he's still probably going to be one of our liabilities by the time we get to the tournament. But that's how it is on a weekly basis. You see it with Hovland. You see it with Morikawa. These are the guys people are looking to target at longer odds before they get that first win. So, uh, you know, it's you're just going to see aggressive adjustments on these guys more so than some veterans. Speaking of line movement and, and looking at next week, uh, look at some of the bigger names. Looks like one big name has fallen off, and, and for good reason, that he's gone all the way up to 100 to 1, and that's Phil Mickelson. One name, another good reason, has, uh, has dropped a lot, and that's John Rahm, who obviously won on a Lynx course at the Irish Open last week have you seen some other big movers for next weekend yeah those are the the two most pronounced ones especially rom you know the closer you get to the major and and someone comes off a win especially a top name like him you're going to see a large movement because through the weekend as these guys are playing well 
we're accumulating uh, wagers throughout on him. So we we saw some wagers on on Rom over the weekend to 25 to one. He's down to 16 to one now with the expectations that a hot golfer coming in. We're going to see some more action on him. And conversely with Phil Mickelson, I opened him at 50 to one. He's up to 100 to one. And generally he's supported in the majors, especially the Masters. But in the Open Championship, especially at coming off what he did in the U.S. Open, where he really didn't sniff winning the tournament at all, uh, he hasn't been getting much betting support. So his odds keep drifting out. Yeah, another big name that I'm really interested to hear your opinion on is Justin Thomas. I seldom bet outright, uh, and he's the only outright position I have at 45 and a half to one. He's had really bad putting since he's come back from the wrist entry, and in general, that's something that we look at to to have regression. How much opinion are you guys putting into when you place a, a price on someone like JT or Rom's recent movement, or is it more about the liability of the book? Uh, right now, it's about the liability. You know, he's been well supported over the recent years, but like you mentioned, coming off the wrist injury, his performances haven't been that solid. And he's not used to being in the 30, 40 to 1 range for these majors. If you look over the last couple of years, every time I drift out to 40 to 1, we tend to see some action come in on him. So I'm, I've been bouncing back and forth between 30 and 40. And right now, he's a small liability for the book. And if that changes, then I'll ease him back out. But, uh, you know, his performance between these last couple of majors with dealing with the, the uh, wrist injury, you know, it, it's led a little bit less action on him than we usually see. And the, hence, you're seeing him in that range right now. Yeah, just along those lines, I just want to get into like the recency bias. I think that's something that's so interesting as a bookmaker. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big thing that you have to consider, and you're going to see a lot of that taken into account more so in matchup prices rather than the outrights because the general public likes to bet based on that recency bias. Now, someone like Matthew Wolf's a great example because last week he was 125 to 1. Now he's in a weaker field, but he's only 25 to 1. When you see such a large adjustment like that, a lot of the times uh, some of the sharp bettors think that that's too much of an adjustment. And then they look to fade him in matchups against guys in that odds range where generally he shouldn't make that large of a leap right away. So if you look in the matchup market, you, you might see some prices that aren't exactly reflective of the outright market. You know, Rom is a different case because he's going to get the public on that. And I think the Sharps will stay away from him, respecting him in that. But when you see somebody that's young and, and makes a leap like that, you can definitely pinpoint some uh, differences based on that recency bias. Getting back into the Open Championship, we got to talk a little bit about Tiger. And uh, I saw that you opened him up at, or he's currently at 16 to 1. How do his opening odds at Portrush compare to what his odds would be at some of the other venues? Would we see him more heavily favored if it was at somewhere like St. Andrews? First of all, regarding Tiger, I mean, his odds are only what they were opening at 12 to 1 based on what we've seen this season out of him coming off the Masters win the type of betting support that we've been seeing over the last few majors. So it's been relatively low. And in a tournament like this with the conditions uh, so important and sometimes the luck of the draw, he should be higher than that. And we've actually seen a lot less money on him based on that for me to drift him out to 16 to 1. Currently, he's sitting 11th in ticket count and 8th in money wager. That's extremely low down the list for someone like Tiger, who's usually in the top three each time. But if, if it were something at like you mentioned, St. Andrews, I think that he'd be getting more betting support and they'd be holding a little bit more firm in the 12-1 range rather than a little bit of the unknown playing Portrush for the, a, lot of, a lot of the betting public where if they had something to go off uh, in, from recent years, uh, there'd be more involvement on the Tiger side. And, you know, we take 2,000 on matchups during majors, 1,000 on the weekly tournaments because of the volume. We see a lot more general public getting involved in the popular popular names for the matchups during majors where they really don't get involved on a week-to-week basis for the regular tournaments. Realistically, you're seeing about 95% sharp play on matchups uh, versus the general public. And 
conversely, on the outright market, it's about 95% general public play. So they're really two different markets. So on a week-to-week basis, we're really seeing not too much volume from the general public. It's mostly just dealing with the sharps. But then when you get to the majors, the general public will get involved in some matchups. So we can afford to uh, take a little bit more, and, and it's a little easier to book. And the, the market's so much more solid, too, because a lot of the books take more, and, and we offer about 80 matchups during a major as opposed to 10 on the weekly basis. So uh, it, it's a lot easier to write during the majors, and that's why we offer all the propositions. where We usually do about 100 propositions for each major, too. Jeff, you mentioned that, 95% of the outright bets, the the bets on winners are from the public and not from the sharps. Do you ever get a bet, like a, a fairly big bet on, let's say I'm looking at the open championship odds on Brandon Stone at 500 to one and you get a pretty big bet. And it just makes you go, hmm, what does that person know that we don't know? What's going on here? It just sort of makes you think about things. I know you said you only got $2 on Matthew Wolf last week, which is mind boggling. Uh, but do you ever get something on, on a guy that's just so far off the radar? It just makes you think like, does someone know something or are they just, you know, throwing money out there and seeing what happens? Oh, I don't put it as someone knowing something. I think it's more of just taking a shot at some odds that they're interested in. For example, mm-hmm. uh, we recently took one on the open championship on a uh, Christian Bez Wiedenhope uh, at mm. 300 to one. Uh, he's down to 200 to one, but I took a $400 wager on him at 300 to one. That's a little bit of a head scratcher there. I wasn't expecting that one, but it was enough, <laughs> enough to shift the odds. So uh, that goes right along with your example on someone that uh, a little bit of a surprise. How long did you practice that game before you came on the pod? Uh, <laughs> I, I just tossed it out there and hoped it was right. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. That's that's a good pull by somebody. If uh, and I'm sure it's the Bezweden Height family who's uh, who's got that ticket right there. Yeah, you know we've seen a few of those over time. You know, uh, we, I just took one on Adam Hadwin today at uh, 200 to one, dropped him to 150. Uh, I took 500 on him at 200 to one. So once in a while you get some decent sized flyers out there, and you know it's uh, it's good to you know, keep the odds high so we can try to write on all these guys all the way down to the 156 golfers. And that's the goal of it, just to spread the money out and keep the bets coming in. I'm definitely firing on both of those guys now that I've heard this. Somebody (laughs) out there knows something. I'm the general public idiot. I'm firing both of those guys. (laughs) Yeah, Jeff, you mentioned the unknown. And more so than any other event I think that we see in golf, the British Open has some unknown in terms of uh, the, the weather and the waves where we've seen you know, particular waves, one side of the draw almost eliminated, you know, based on the weather, the factors that they they can have out there versus, you know, the other wave that has perfect conditions. Do you view the Open Championship as like a higher risk event for you in terms of handicapping, knowing that the weather can play such an enormous factor? Yeah, there's no question I do. Uh, When I get involved in it myself, this is the major that I'm least involved in. And uh, I even see it coming across the betting counter that we see a lot less action from the sharps on the matchups and the open championship uh, than we do on the other majors, especially when you see at Augusta playing the same course over and over and you have that history to go off. But, you know, the only thing that we can really look back is uh, they played the 2012 Irish open here. So that's a little bit, you can try to read into that as far as scoring and then obviously the weather conditions. But the one thing I recommend is if you're going to get involved, especially in the, in the matchups themselves is wait for those tee times to come out, uh, go ahead and wait for the weather conditions to get closer. Unless you see a matchup that you really think is egregious, wait till Wednesday and find those weather conditions out. You might be able to put something in your advantage. So it might behoove you to wait a little bit longer than getting involved in the early markets on the matchups just for this major. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one more question, just as me as the, you know, Peter's kind of our, our pro gambler, are the brains of the operation, if you will. I'm kind of the idiot that just likes to fire on a whim. And so hearing you talk about, you know, the sharps will do this, the sharps will do that. 
how do you identify a, a sharp that, that's making bets out there? I think for the, the average uh, gambler might be interested in knowing, like, how are you identifying wagers that you're taking? Like, oh, this guy's a sharp or, oh, this guy's general public. What sort of stuff are you looking for? First of all, it's some customers that have built up relationships with us over time. And if we see that they've been winning betting golf matchups, we can respect that. Or if uh, someone comes in and makes some, some matchup wagers and, you know, a half hour later you see the market move based on those wagers, and obviously you can uh, identify it that way. Uh, sometimes we'll have some guests come in and just bet some matchups and they're just betting into a market price and we don't feel compelled to move it at all. But it's really gauging on what you see in the marketplace and what our betting history is with that individual. So sometimes a small sample size, we're not going to put as much stock into that where we might have a guest that has longevity and has been winning at golf matchups for, for years. And we'll go ahead and put credence behind that and respect it, move those a little bit more aggressively. What's the one where you had the most liability this year? Was that the Masters and Tiger one? Yeah, and it usually is with Tiger and the Masters. The past yeah. few years, it's been like that. And, uh, you know, even when the odds get short, that's the one that everyone pinpoints. You know, that's also the major that has the longest shelf life. Traditionally, I've been putting that up right when the PGA Championship had ended. So to have, you know, a good eight months for people to bet on that, this is the first time that I've ever put the Masters up as soon as the last Masters just ended. So, this time around, I'm going to have a full year of shelf life on it. And we've already been getting some handle. Right now, Brooks Kepp is leading the liability as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, when in between the, the last major and the next one, when you have that large, long of a shelf life, that's where you're going to see everything built up over time. And when you're dealing with Tiger, people like to bet if, if you've done it before, we think you can do it again. And when he's done it 15 times now, that's where they really uh, concentrate on it. Where are most of the tickets and most of the money going so far? I know you have those numbers. Just over a week out before the Open Championship starts. Yeah, so far it's been all Rory McIlroy, like I mentioned. He's number one in tickets, number one in money. And I expect that to continue. We continue to write money on him at 8-1. to one, And we'll see how he does in the Scottish Open this week, where if he were to come away with a win on that, I think you'd see his market dro price drop probably to 6-1 to one with even more anticipated betting support. But right now he's running away with those. And some other guys in ticket count, right now it goes McIlroy. Shoffley, Fleetwood, then yeah. Kepka fourth, then Oosthuizen. And if you look at the money wagered, it's McElroy, then Kepka, then Dustin Johnson, Oosthuizen, and Molinari. So uh, you got Oosthuizen in the top five. He's seeing a lot of support. I opened him at 40 to one. He's down to 30 to one, but he's been, he's always been a popular play in the open championships because of the history on the links courses for him. How has betting changed on Kepka over the last couple of years? He's been one of the top guys in the past couple of years, as far as money wagered ticket count. I'm surprised that it's shying away from him a little bit this week because he'd been so high recently. Uh, he's been a liability of ours. In the, in the U.S. Open, though, we were actually in a position for the first time in uh, many majors that we are uh, in a positive position on him. And right now it's the same way for the Open Championship that it subsided a little bit, but he's always one of the most popular golfers just because everyone sees, you know, even if he's not winning, when he concentrates on these majors, usually in the top five. And, you know, that's the toughest thing when you're handicapping this is to try to get someone that's going to be in position for you on Sunday to give you a chance to win. And he's been doing that. So people have been involving him in their portfolios and the liability has been there over the last couple of years. Yeah. Staying on Brooks, like I'm looking at it from an outsider's perspective. Is he, is he a, a challenge for someone in your industry to handicap on a week to week basis being that like, it's, it seems like the regular tour events just don't get his attention for whatever reason, he's just not into it. But then when majors show up, he obviously shines. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's such a dichotomy you see with them between that, where you see all the betting support and the performance in the majors. And then week in and week out, it's uh, it's not too much. So 
his odds could be a little higher than they are. And lately he's still been in single digits in the tournaments and he hasn't been performing that well. But the one note thing you can really notice in the, in the markets is his matchup price in the non-majors where he might be the betting favorite and he might end up being a dog to someone that has a little longer odds than him because of that aspect where the sharps are expecting him not to concentrate like he does for majors and they fade him in those because his price isn't really that efficient being so low when it's predicated on the action we've seen for majors. And, you know, we obviously start out with the outright markets and a lot of those odds, the top five, top 10 are predicated on that. But as we get closer and the matchups come out, and if I see some sharps that are either on or fading a certain golfer in matchups and you see it uh, throughout, and maybe there's one guy they're betting against two or three times, I'll go ahead and price that into the propositions for the top five, top 10, and adjust those accordingly, respecting the money I've seen in the matchups and go ahead and adjust the rest of the markets that we have, even all the way down to the outright markets. Yeah, and I imagine Rory along those lines, you have all the money coming in on him. He's had some ridiculous rounds this year, and really the only thing holding him back so far has, has been the putter. Do you expect him to be an overwhelming favorite in the matchups again? Uh, he'll be a starting point, definitely. I, he'll be favored in every matchup. He's a number one power-rated guy. and You're seeing it in the outright market, but you're going to see that uh, in, in the other markets too. Like you said, top five, top ten, the matchups. And I don't envision even Kepka. Uh, McElroy will be a small favorite in that matchup, and it wouldn't surprise me if that price is driven a little longer uh, where, where Rory ends up being a larger favorite than where it starts. Jeff, I wrote a piece that's going to be up on Action Network in a couple of days uh, about players either choosing to play the week before or choosing to prep the week before. This is a, a good week for it because we've got uh, big events both on the PGA Tour and over on the European Tour, a lot of guys going over to play the Scottish Open. And what I found is there's really no conclusive evidence. It's not like, hey, if you play the week before, you win a lot more than if you prep the week before. I think it's 61.39 is basically how the numbers shook out. But what I found is that those who do play the week before, if they play really well the week before, they have a really good chance. I mean, basically the momentum factor uh, builds into there. How much do you build that in and how much do you see the markets move? Well, you'll see us be uh, reactive to that. And as they play well, you know, obviously there's one spot left open for the John Deere for the winner or top five if uh, that person hasn't already qualified. And if they do well enough, you're going to see their odds if they uh, are now qualified for that tournament open lower than they would have been had they not already been qualified based on their performance. And exactly what we see out of the Scottish Open, uh, you got a really solid field here with McElroy, Fowler, Kuchar, Justin Thomas, Stenson. You can keep going down the list. There's a, uh, it's a really solid field. But uh, whoever is in the top five of the Scottish Open, you're going to see some adjustments, and uh, some of them might be rather large based on the expected action that we're going to see coming in the next week because just like we talked earlier, that recency bias, people are going to ex- want to support those guys thinking they're going to be coming in with momentum. So the books try to stay ahead of that, and we'll be watching it. Uh, you know, over here in, in Las Vegas, Scottish Open will be going on through the night. So each morning I'll be able to start adjusting some numbers uh, before our book even opens at 8 a.m. Pacific time based on how these guys have been playing through the night in the Scottish Open. But uh, there'll be a lot more interest in the Scottish Open prepping for the uh, Open Championship. You know, Lynx course, a better field. John Deere isn't that great of a field, and there's not as many uh, golfers that are playing the Open Championship. So you'll see a lot more uh, coming out of the Scottish Open uh, with some price movements next week for the Open Championship. All right, Jeff, hypothetically speaking, say a person had $200 that he or she would like to wager on the outright winner for the Open Championship. Where should that person lean in terms of best value? I've got three wagers, and I know that some of my 
wagers have uh, better than market prices now, but I did play Rom at 25 to one. I was mm-hmm. able to get some of that as, as those odds were dropping. I'm a big Patrick Cantley guy. I had him at the Memorial when he won that at 20 to one. I've invested in him. I had him in the U S open. I've got him in the open championship. I was able to get 50 to one and 40 to one on Cantley. I've already bet him for the 2020 masters. I'm really high on him. I think over the next few months, he's going to be one of those guys that's power rated top five amongst anybody. So I think anytime you can get 30 to one or higher on him, it's a, it's a good investment. And one guy that I've been liking that his odds have been dropping over the last few majors, he's had some great performances. Now he's playing uh, more in his environment is Matt Wallace. I played him at 60 to one. You can still find that out there, but I think uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's there on Sunday on the leaderboard. I like that. That ROM at 25 to one sounds pretty good. That's the only reason I was able to, to get involved with him is because uh, some of the books out here in Las Vegas on Sunday still had 25 to one as he was, uh, as he was winning the Irish open. You know, I adjusted down to 16 to one and you know that if you can get a guy like that, this close to a major, uh, and get that much value in it, it's worth getting involved in. I've seen in other jurisdictions in the U.S. more offerings than we can offer here in the Las Vegas market. Our operating system, the one that we're currently on, I can't offer each way wagering. I'm hoping that uh, is something in the near future that we can do, but you'll see some things like that that are entering into the U.S. market that are influenced from the European markets. The golf markets keep growing all the time. Uh, when we eventually end up going national, I want to do some unique propositions such as over under winning score on a weekly basis. That's something that you really can't find many places that our crew wants to get involved in once we have more than one operation going. So uh, it's definitely a competitive market and there's more opportunities for people to get involved. Jeff, any uh, interesting tickets this week? We've got the John Deere and the Scottish Open. Anything coming through that uh, sort of caught your eye? I actually took some a couple wagers in the Scottish Open on Ricky Fowler against Rory McIlroy from general public, but they took plus 170, plus 160 in his matchup which is interesting because of McElroy's power rating at this time. So uh, we got someone that's involved that, uh, that likes Fowler over McElroy. And, uh, you know, other than that, it's been, we get most of our action the day before the weekly tournament. So we'll probably see about 80% of what we handle on Wednesday versus what we've seen so far. Jeff, we could literally listen to you for hours because you are just so smart and so knowledgeable about all this stuff. So we thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Jeff Sherman, at Golf Odds on Twitter, you guys have to follow him if you're not already. And if you're not, you're doing something wrong. He's the VP of Risk Management at Superbook USA. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us this week. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, that was awesome. I can't believe, guys, one $2 bet on Matthew Wolf last week. I mean, what are we doing, people? Are we not listening to the pod? I mean, we're talking about Matthew Wolf. We're talking about Hovland, Morikawa, even Justin Sewell a little bit. We've been talking about these guys. And I guess I, I wasn't on Wolf that much last week either. So I guess uh, I'm guess I sh- I, I'm in the same group as everybody else. But one $2 bet just astounds me. So uh, that was a fun tournament to watch, though, guys. I went out to the 3M uh, just for the weekend and was able to catch one of the best tournaments of the year so far. Yeah, for my money, the best tournament, the most exciting tournament, I should say, of the year. We've been talking about all three of those guys. Or, you know, we've been talking about Wolf and Morikawa a ton leading up to it. I actually liked Wolf last week. Not that I would have bet him to win outright. I wouldn't have. But he didn't have any matchups on the books that I was looking at, which I thought sucked. Um, But we did do what we do and roll on Victor Hovland, as we always do. Four no since the U.S. Open. So Victor Hovland with another major showing for the pod. But, uh, dude, I thought it was so cool. It's unbelievable how young those guys are, how good they are, and the shots they were hitting down the stretch. For, for Wolf to watch DeChambeau 
make the eagle, know that, all right, now I really need an eagle outright to win this thing without a playoff and then go and do it the way he did. The balls on these kids these days are are unlike anything we've ever seen. So huge props to whoever bet the two bucks on, on Matthew Wolf. We're idiots for not taking our own advice. Yeah, great finishing hole, and it was really fun. And the Young Guns, we talked about them on the podcast. I think everyone in the golf media world is talking about these guys. Golf is a great place if you add them into the mix of, you know, Tiger still obviously coming off a Masters win, and it should be a lot of fun down the stretch. The only bad news about this is we've been on Hovland. I've been loving Hovland, obviously riding him every week. Uh, had a big bet on Morikawa last week over Nate Lashley, which obviously cashed. We are heavy on these young guys. The bad news, everybody's on them now. The whole world knows there's no more secret. Same with Chez, right? We get on Chez early before he heats up, and then he comes in, and now he's priced super high. So these matchups with some of these guys now, the markets are catching up, and there, there's no more uh, easy bets out there anymore with these guys, which sucks from a money perspective, um, which is really all I care about. And now that the betting favorites, like you said, DraftKings has uh, has it Hovland, Morikawa, Matthew Wolf, the, the top three on the board. <laughs> one thing, guys, that, that struck me, and we'll get to DraftKings in a minute because we're going to make a lineup like we always do, and we're going to smash like we do every week. So we're going to uh, pay back the listeners who have listened to this entire thing the whole time. I hope your commute was fun, guys. Um, the one thing that's uh, that struck me being out there in Minnesota, I spoke with Matthew Wolf a little bit. I uh, got a chance to talk to Mar- Morikawa a lot, which uh, I hadn't talked to him before. These kids – look and sound like they've been on tour for 10 years already. These are extremely mature kids, it, not just inside the ropes. I, I get that, hey, they're really good golfers, and inside the ropes their games are mature and better than 20, 21, 22-year-olds. This is, like, off the course. They treat the media and the fans like they've been doing this forever. I mean, not any sense of immaturity whatsoever. They're really impressive. I think that's a testament to where college golf has gone. Like, if you look at Matthew yeah. Wolf, freshman year at Oklahoma State, at Karsten Creek, he makes the, the national championship uh, clinching putt in front of a shitload of Oklahoma State fans that were out there watching him. Cameras everywhere. He's playing in front of a camera. He's given interviews. Then this year, he wins the NCAA championship. Given interviews. He's like, this is nothing new to these guys anymore. These big-name guys that are playing the top-tier amateur golf winning national championships. They've done this. So, yeah, the stage is bigger and that it's a PGA Tour, but they're going through the same stuff that they've gone through for the last couple of years, which until the last few years wasn't the case. You know, like when I was playing college golf, I don't even – NCAAs, I don't even think we're on TV. You know what I mean? And the guys winning weren't getting interviewed by Golf Channel and doing a round-by-round recap. So these dudes are like, you know, as seasoned as you can get coming in as rookies on the PGA Tour, and it shows, like not only in their games, but also in the way that they, they handle it. So I want to get into some of what we're looking at this week in the John Deere Classic. All three of those guys are playing this week. And Justin Sue, too, as I wrote my column uh, Sunday night, uh, it feels like Sue hasn't played quite as well as, like, the outlier. I actually think, like, the other three guys are the outliers, and Justin's doing exactly what he's supposed to do, which is play pretty well and make a few cuts and, uh, and kind of ease his way into being a professional. Like, that's normal. What the other three guys are doing is not normal at all. So – uh, we're seeing that from those guys, but uh, I want to get into the John Deere Classic a little bit. Uh, I know we'll get uh, some Scottish Open as well. That's kind of a bigger tournament this week, but we like to stay mostly on the PGA Tour. And uh, Sleaze, I know you're looking at some matchups. Uh, let's go around the horn and uh, pick one matchup each and uh, see what we all like, see if uh, maybe we're on the same page with any of these. Yeah, beautiful. So for the first week, I am not going to have a Victor Hovland play, which which pains me, but it's just too tough to bet. Prices are too tough. Matchups are tough. So I was scrolling through, and I was looking for a guy that I want to short. And I was looking high and low, and I finally found one in Danny Lee 
over Cameron Champ. And it's not too long ago that Cameron Champ was the it guy on the PGA Tour, hitting it miles, won early in the year, and he was the dude. But things have seriously changed. So I got Danny Lee minus 115 over Cameron Champ. And Peter talks about this a lot. Shop your books here because one of the other books I looked at was Danny Lee minus 145, and I was able to find it at minus 115, which makes me like it even more. But Champ, this is a Champ short. I was looking back at his stats. He's missed the cut or WD'd in nine of his last 12 events. Like, and I actually thought last week that, that the, the 3M Classic, I thought that would be a good venue for him, one where he could hit a lot of drivers, do what he does that makes him Superman. And uh, I think he shot 74-75, like really a bad showing from him. And I, on the other side of that, I don't think the John Deere Classic with a shorter golf course, guys hitting a lot of fairways, hitting a lot of irons, three woods, that sort of thing. I think this takes away his superpower, turns him even into more of a Clark Kent, and he just becomes a normal dude. So with that, with the recent form and the course this week, I am heavy short Cam Champ. And uh, Danny Lee was the matchup that I found. I'm not like heavy on Danny Lee, think he's great. Or playing great. He's, he's been fine this year, but this is more of just a, a champ short. So Lee minus 115 over champ. That was the one that jumped out at me. Yeah, that's a, a great price, especially when you shop around. You know, looking at a couple matchups, Charles Howell's a little polarizing in the market. One that I see is Lucas Glover is closer to even money. Uh, I'm seeing Glover minus 105. That intuitively doesn't feel great, but Glover is coming off a really good week last week, and his ball striking has been there, but I think he's rounding into form again. So I think that's some decent value, and we've been on these young guys, and now the prices are just too high, and I think it's unfortunately a time we have to fade them. So the non-sexy matchups are like Howland Glover, but Glover at 105 or better, I like for sure. Guys, from the years 2009 through 2015, Zach Johnson finished top three at this tournament every year but once. In his last 40 rounds there, he's been under par 38 of those rounds. He's earned $3 million in the Quad Cities alone, and he's only a small favorite against Kyle Stanley. And you know what? I love Kyle Stanley this week. Really good ball striker. He's starting to trend in the right direction. Zach has really fallen off. He is uh, outside the top 100, moved outside for the first time in something like 12 years, 14 years, just a few weeks ago. And uh, I know the recent history is there, the course history. I understand that he gets to uh, John Deere, and he just lights it up usually every single year. But the last three results, 34th, 5th, 16th, good. I don't think a 16th this year is good enough to beat Kyle Stanley. I really like him a lot this week. And Kyle Stanley, as an underdog in that matchup, that's my favorite one going on the board right now. I was wondering if anyone on here was going to jump on that on the other side of Zach with his, with his track record at this course being unbelievable, like really weirdly good how well he's played here. But with his form this year being so bad, that was just one of those ones that was dangling there. Like, do you want to tempt it? Do you want to take it? And uh, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you here. I think – course history you know five six eight years back even matters way less than the way you're playing in the last month or two and i don't see nothing from zach to make me want to jump all over him so kudos to you so for pulling that one varner okay. and wyndham clark are a coin flip two bffs <laughs> god that's tough man you really like those are two two of my guys there um this could be a plead the fifth type of scenario i'm so partial to, <laughs> to the guy in here I've, i'm so biased I like Wyndham on uh, obviously his length is unbelievable, but it's also his biggest nemesis in that he misses a lot of fairways, as you saw with some of the club drops last week, which were incredible follow throughs. Very proud of him letting go of that thing quick. Gun to my head, I would probably take Wyndham just because I think he hits fewer drivers this week, and the, the fewer drivers 
Uh, the fewer fairways he can miss, I think he's he's pretty good from there on in. So maybe Wyndham, slight edge over Harold, but I'm definitely not betting it. Guys, before we get to make our DraftKings lineup, anything from the Scottish Open jumping out at you? There's a couple of guys I'm, I'm looking at. Um, we're all about the same price. Uh, three of them that I don't even know how much I necessarily like them at the Scottish, but I'm keeping an eye on all of them for next week because I like them at the Open if they have good weeks. And it's Matt Fitzpatrick. Matthew Wallace and Rafa Cabrera Bayo, all about, like I said, the same price. And if one of those guys jumps out, has like a top 10, top five finish this week, I, I might be jumping on board for next week as well. I like the Matt Wallace over, over Eddie Pepperell. And, you know, Eddie's definitely probably the best guy on Twitter and golf. Without question. Nah, Not close. Mickelson. Mickelson's the biggest star. He does good work, but Mickelson's got the star power over Eddie. Eddie's quality of tweet is higher than Phil. In my opinion, I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. I, I agree we should that. make we should make a Twitter All Star team at some point. We get Eddie, Phil, sort of the you know the honorary captain of the team or something like that. Joel Damon's Max, on there. Max Homa, Homa. carries the flag. Homa, the Homa, Homa absolutely. Well. We get a bunch there. more guys on there. Yeah, I like that Matt Wallace though over there. He, I think he's really good in links golf, and I think he's a guy that's got the type of game that once he clicks, once he starts peeling off a few of these things, I think he could be a force. Uh, for Europe, so uh, I like Matt. Matt Wallace will be the guy I would lean towards out of those three that you mentioned. All right, fellas, let's make a lineup as we do every week. Uh, theoretically, if you had put our lineup into a forty-four dollar DraftKings tournament last week, you would have just barely cashed. I, I don't know how I would know that at all, but it would have been really good if Sleaze had been on his usual guy, Wyndham Clark, instead of oh. Luke List, who was our only guy to miss the cut last week. We we're so close to being right on it. So close, guys. That one stings the nostrils, boys. I'm going to take yeah. that one. I'm going to wear that one. I'll take it. All right. As we'll the captain we'll give of you the, the team, I'll take well, it. Well, we'll give you the first pick. I was going to defer because I really don't know what to do up top. I got some middle guys that I like. Do you have do either of you three have someone up north that you like a lot? Because I'm, I'm I do. Confused. I'm going to fire it. And this came from another player who saw him play last week, who literally sent me a text earlier this week and said, you're taking Sunjay this week, I assume, right? Like, pushing me in that direction. Like, this is the week, guys. Like, you know this is happening this week, right? Like, it was so definitive. So, I am all over Sung J.M. this week. That's fair. You like Locking that, Pete? Are we going to allow it? Love that. Okay, perfect. I'll fire okay. next. I got a guy that I like. Uh, I think this is a great course fit, and this is the type of places where he shows up a lot, and I like Ryan Moore. I will throw one out at you, Sleeves. I'm just going to say this to you. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize it until this past week. Ryan Moore had been with his longtime caddy, J.J. Jakovic, for – eight years. They parted ways after the PGA Championship two months ago. JJ was offered a few other bags, wasn't sure. He's got a young family at home. Then he took a bag of this young kid. He's now caddying for Colin Morikawa. How about that for an upgrade after a long time with Ryan Moore? So all of that said, I, I'm just, I like Ryan Moore a lot. Uh, he's played well at this one. I'm just saying he's got, he's kind of in a little transition period. He is, and his recent play has not been uh, anything that jumps out at you. I just feel like he's, these are the type of spots that are just, like, where he thrives, you know? Like, these not overly long golf courses, more precision, more iron play. I feel like this is the right type of fit for him. Um, that's the reason why I like him. And there, I think there's a lot of good options in this range, too. If you guys want to if you want to veto, use your veto power and kick him off the squad, you can use it. Um, but he was my guy at 9,200. Peter, I'll let you... Let the well, pros chime in. I would take Lucas Glover over both of them. Lucas Glover is minus 135 for Sunjay, which is interesting. 
I think that he's right there with Stanley. He's basically a coin flip right now in the market. So Glover's the guy who stands out to me, but I love Sunday as well. I like that, that angle. Kick Ryan off the squad. Sorry, you were on briefly. We're replacing you with Lucas Glover, 9,800. Tough break. That was like a, a trade, a quick trade, sign and trade type of scenario. I'm going to make our team even more tilting with another guy who's been playing well recently, but uh, he's on one of the all-team tilting DFS guys, Vaughn Taylor. Not the strongest name, but he's only 7,700, and just look at his current form. I'm pretty high on Vaughn Taylor this week. I like Vaughn a lot this week, too, and you're usually on Vaughn on the right times, too. I will say that's that much. You're a, a Vaughn Taylor connoisseur. Uh, we got 7,600 7, per man left. Uh, we got Kyle Stanley sitting there at, at 8,800. Is it even my turn? It's not even my turn, but I'm just going to talk. Fire him. Anyway. If you've got conviction, uh, take him. I mentioned him before. I mentioned everything I like about Kyle Stanley striking the ball really well. Uh, if you guys are on board, we can go 8,800, and then you guys got a couple of cheaper guys to get in there. Do it. Let's do it. Fire him. Official. Sign. Kyle Stanley. Oh, there he is. My boy, Matty Every. Oof. I like him this week. The five putt really scarred me with him. I got some serious scar tissue to get over with Matty Every. But you know what? I'm going to go back to the well. I think I still I stick by this. His upside when he's priced down here below 7000 is higher than any of these other guys. So if, he, if Matt Every has a good week, that's a winner's check. That's a top three. There's not yeah. a lot of these guys. I could like Robert Strap, you know, I don't know. Uline, don't think this is a good fit for him. You know, right. I, I don't think there's any other potential winners below 7000 That's my. That's kind of my constant go-to with Every. But, yeah, I'm on Every. Let's ride him again. I'll let you guys decide. There's two guys. Matt Jones, there's some upside, but definitely he's not played his best golf as of recently. And then Michael Thompson is another guy who MDF last week. He's been popping my models. Uh, any preference out of those two? Michael Thompson. I, I almost took uh, him I was, earlier. I was going to say I hate Michael Thompson, so there oh, you go. God. There's this is our first team conclusion. Right Michael Thompson is like, he's made some top tens. He just played well at the Heritage. Straight hitter, good putter. Throw two more out. Hank Lebiota, who's played pretty well, and KH Lee, who's got a decent course fitter, both out there. I'm just throwing it out there. I could be talking to Lebiota for sure. All right, you call it, Peter. It's ultimately your pick. It's yours. yours. I'm I'm going to allow you. We're going Thompson. I like this squad a lot. In alphabetical order, Matt Every, Lucas Glover, Sungjae Im, Kyle Stanley, Vaughn Taylor, Michael Thompson. Put all of your money on that. And there's no way you can lose, right, guys? Guaranteed money. That's what we do here at the Action Network. Our complaint line at the sleazy man. Make sure you tell me everyone who sucks ass that we picked this week. We're pretty much uh, guaranteed a Ryan Moore, Matt Jones playoff at this point, aren't we? Right. Yeah. yeah. If Moore plays good, I'm going to kill you guys. Just, <laughs> just for the record. Just throw in another lineup of yeah. Ryan Moore as well. Cover your butts in there. So, uh, guys, uh, great week. Thanks. We can't wait for next week. We're going to talk some more Open Championship. We just might have a really, really good guest. I'm going to tease it with that, and I I won't tell you who because there's like a 5% chance it won't happen, but um, hopefully we have a really good guest coming next week, someone really fun. And uh, if we don't, you never heard this anyway. So thanks for everything. Thanks to Jeff Sherman, who is fantastic, as always. Like I said, listen to him forever, at Golf Odds on Twitter. And to everybody else, John Deere Classics, Scottish Open, looking ahead. The Open Championship next week. Good luck.